0: Welcome to multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week for our final episode of Season 6. Wow, hard to imagine we've gone six seasons already and are getting ready to launch Season 7 next week. But our final episode of Season 6, final episode of 2022, which we'll be taking a look back at five things we learned in 2022. Now, we learned a lot in 2022, but we picked out five items that we thought really encapsulated the key takeaways from what really was an amazing year, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. As always, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, m a r a p o l i n g.com. And with that, let's get started. Okay, five things we learned in 2022, kind of in sequence. Number one, interest rates matter but not as much as you think now interest rates have gone up in 2022 and then they pulled back a little bit and then they went up again and then they pulled back some more but net net interest rates are up in 2022 is that an issue you bet has an impact on how the industry operates But it's not as big an issue as you might think. Many, many people think there is a 100% correlation between interest rate movement and the success of a real estate investment. Interest rates are an important factor, as are occupancy rates and rent growth rates and the cost of um, capital improvements and the operating expense management capability, the efficiency of your team. As you can see, and I haven't listed them all, there are many, many factors that contribute to the outcome of a multifamily real estate investment. Interest rates are absolutely one of them. If I had my choice between investing and buying a piece of property where I could get An interest rate of 5% or one of 4%, of course, I'd rather have the 4% interest rate. That doesn't mean that a 5% or a a 5.5% or even a 6% interest rate is a bad rate and one that isn't sustainable in terms of the overall investment. That's why ultimately underwriting is so critical. Underwriting is where we put all of those factors together to determine what price we can actually afford to pay to purchase a piece of property, given all of the inputs. And then based on that, if there's a willing seller at that price, we make a deal. If there isn't, then we don't. Is the interest rate the reason why we did or did not make that deal? You can't tell. By then, it's stew. It's all been thrown into the pot together. And while a lower interest rate might make a deal more attractive, if that opportunity had a more challenging rental growth curve or fewer value-add opportunities, then getting a better interest rate might not be enough to offset. So first thing, interest rates do matter. Just not as much as we all think they do. Number two, where you invest matters. Yeah, and probably more than we all think it does. Now, by where, I don't mean the left side of the street or the right side of the street or really even the north side of town or the south side of town. The submarket certainly matters. But in general, we're talking about the market that's being invested in. So are you buying a piece of property in a large metropolitan area that has stable job growth, solid income growth? It's been that way for the last five or maybe even 10 years. All of the forecasts say that that's going to continue Or are you investing in a marketplace that has had explosive growth in the last three years? But before that, not so much, kind of flat, maybe even negative growth, maybe even a decrease in employment, a decrease in jobs, struggling incomes, and a forecast for the future that's maybe not so clear Investing in quality growth markets absolutely continues to pay off. The big successes that we experienced in 2022, as well as the ones that we saw around us in the industry, took place in some pretty boring, mundane, not very flashy markets, places that had been growing steadily at or above the national average and that continued to do so even in the challenging environment we've had the last couple of years and are forecasted to continue to do so. Those markets have performed well. The boom and bust markets, some of them have been fantastic these last couple of years and if you can time it correctly you might get in and get out at the trough and the peak. And you also might not. And that is the risk involved in that kind of investing. So interest rates matter, maybe not as much. Where you invest matters, maybe more than we think. The third thing we learned, putting lazy equity to work is a really smart strategy. We have two examples to share. One was a property that we purchased in one of these mundane markets that performed very well. I mean, very well. And in a modest amount of time, we grew a substantial amount of lazy equity. We went from a loan to value that was in the 70s to an effective loan to value that was in the low 40s, headed towards the high 30s. There was a lot of lazy equity in this asset. We executed a 1031 on that property, moved into a larger asset, and are seeing returns that are in the neighborhood of 70 to 80% higher than what the original asset was generating. A really solid success. Not because we moved into a riskier, more challenging asset that had a higher reward, but it's because we put millions of dollars in lazy equity to work, as opposed to having it just sit inside the asset. Another case study was a refinance that we did this year, in which a few million dollars that was sitting inside of an asset, not doing anything, was pulled out redeployed, and the net was about a 30% increase in the rate of return on that original asset. We didn't put any extra money in. We didn't do anything fancy. We just pulled some lazy equity out and put it to work. We don't advocate advocate being overly leveraged. What metric tells you if you're overly leveraged? Well, loan-to-value would be one. There's a few others. Ultimately, that's an individual decision. Are you comfortable with a loan-to-value of 70%? Generally speaking, we think that's a reasonable place to start. What about 60%? A little safer. What about 50%? We don't think that's necessarily any safer than 60%. What about 40%? I think you're leaving a lot of money on the table by the time you get to 40%. What about zero? What about owning a property outright? You're absolutely giving money away. There is money to be made with having some reasonable amount of leverage. Determining that is your call. Having some reasonable leverage and keeping that leverage intact so that as the equity grows, the lazy equity is put to work either through a 1031 exchange or through a refinance or some other event. That is a significant part of success. So we got some lessons about interest rates, some lessons about where we invest, some good reinforcement of a lazy equity strategy. The fourth thing that we learned is that the real estate cycle and the economic cycle are not very important to long-term investors, especially those that will use a 1031 exchange. Now, it would be wonderful if we could buy at the trough every single time and exit at the peak every single time. And for a single individual investment, for a individual property, there are strategies that attempt to do that. It's very challenging. It has risk associated with it. And when you use that for a single investment, you are giving up one of the very unique tax advantages that real estate provides that you do not get with other investments. And that is the ability to to defer the tax on that gain, on that profit, until the future. And that's what we do with a 1031. If you just make an individual investment, when you sell that property and make your profit, you got to pay the tax man. If you're a long-term investor... If you're long in multifamily, now that doesn't mean that you own one asset for 30 years, although you can. If you're long in multifamily, you can own a property for three or five or seven years and then sell it and take the gain from that and buy another property and push that tax burden out and do it again and do it again and do it again. And if that is a strategy that is appealing to you, then what we learned again this year is that it doesn't matter a great deal whether or not the economy is growing or in a recession or whether we're at the beginning or the middle or the end of a real estate cycle. Because everything we're doing is simply trading out of and into a similar asset. If we're at a peak in real estate values, where we were not that long ago, and I sell an asset, I make a lot of money, more than I would if it had moved into the next phase of the economic cycle. I'm also going to pay more for the replacement asset negating essentially that great gain at least the unique part of it tied to the real estate cycle or pardon me the economic cycle we'd actually prefer to do those transactions while we're on the downslope and the reason for that is while we make a little less for the asset we sell we pay a little less for the asset we're going to buy and by definition that's a larger asset which means we're saving a little more than we're giving up. So net, net, it's actually a little better deal. But even that's not worth trying to time. When an asset gets to a point that there is sufficient lazy equity and the market conditions are right to execute the 1031, we believe that that's a very smart strategy. And we learned that again this year. As I mentioned a moment ago, we had an asset, grew significantly in value. We executed a 1031. Had we sold that property a year earlier or in a higher value scenario, we'd have made an extra couple million dollars. We also would have paid a couple million dollars more for the replacement property. Ultimately, we were not negatively affected by the timing and we ended up getting a much nicer return in the end. Real estate cycle, Economic cycle, not as big a deal if you're a long-term investor. So, interest rates, important, but not as much as you think. Where you invest, important, maybe more than you think. Get that lazy equity to work. Learn that lesson again. Don't get too hung up on real estate cycles and economic cycles. Just make smart decisions, good underwriting. Learn that one again. And number five is that multifamily is in no way near done with this wonderful run that we're on. And that has everything to do with the fact that we have continued strong demand growth in terms of rental families, rental households that are looking for units We continue on an annual basis to not build enough units nationally to take care of the current demand, let alone any of the shortage that we all believe is out there. And we can debate whether it's a million units or 3 million units. There is absolutely a shortage in housing and we're not solving it using the tools that we're using today. Until that comes to some degree of resolution, we will not see a moderation in the growth of rents. Rents need to grow so that the value of the properties can grow such that we get to a point where you can build new inventory for the same value proposition as what you can buy and improve an existing asset. It becomes a bit of a chicken and the egg argument, though, because as you get closer to that, That's also happened in those higher end properties and it continues to sort of move the goalposts. This last couple of years, we've seen significant increases in construction costs as well. Now, while some of that has moderated recently, it hasn't moderated to the point where new supply is readily available, especially in the class B space. So if you've been hanging around the multifamily investment world, trying to think about the right time to do something, our encouragement to you would be to explore these items on your own, get more comfortable with them. What we think you'll see is that interest rates don't drive deals as much as the totality of all the other factors. That where you invest is kind of important and something to pay attention to. That appropriate amounts of leverage and keeping that leverage intact by getting lazy equity working is an important part of long-term success. That a long-term focus frees you from having to worry about how to time the market. And lastly, that you have not missed the boat. Multifamily real estate continues to be a wonderful opportunity. Will that last forever? who knows my crystal ball is as good as yours there is no evidence that shows that we are any ways near the end of this rather historic run multifamily has been on again our logic behind why we advocate everyone having some real estate in particular some multifamily real estate in their investment portfolio as i said at the beginning this is the end of season 6 We have just had so much fun over the last several years producing this content for you all. Very grateful for all of the feedback that you provide. Love the conversations that we have had. Encourage you to continue to reach out. We would love to do that. We have some exciting things coming in season seven, which starts next week. You are going to get a chance to meet members of the team. We are gonna have uh, larger uh, groups involved in our uh, weekly conversations. You'll get a chance to meet our operations folks, our acquisition team, other people that can answer some of the questions that you all have and that you pose to me when we do chat. We'll have more case studies talking about real investments that we've made, lessons that we've learned from those, that we think are valuable for everyone, whether you are a passive investor or whether you manage your own portfolio of single families or small multifamily properties or even larger multifamily properties. Thank you for joining us. However long you've been a listener, we appreciate your support. Please join us next week as we begin season seven of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Pauling.